Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. In Romans chapter 12, you can turn there. Today we're going to be continuing our series that we've been on since the start of this year, a series that we're calling Gospel Foundations. What we've been doing in this series is looking at our core foundations of who we are as a church. We want to start the year off by looking at the story of God, the gospel, hearing the difference between religion and the gospel, getting to the heart of what does it mean to have transformed affections, that Jesus doesn't just want us to clean up our life, but that he actually wants our true heart, our true worship. And so before I even get into like what we're going to talk about today, I just want to remind us of why is it so important to reinforce the basics? Why is it so important to continually revisit the basics? I mean, in one sense of anything, but specifically of following Jesus. First off, because we forget. Martin Luther, the great reformer, of the Reformation era said, I preach the gospel justification by faith every week because every week my people forget. We also regularly forget the truths about Jesus and about God and his word. But secondly, we rehearse and regularly hear our core essentials because what we're talking about in these couple weeks literally drive all that we do. If you ever hear me and Scott doing something that's not tying back in to what we're talking about these couple weeks, then you can call foul and say, hey, how does this connect to who we actually are and what Jesus has done? So that's why we're going through this series, and that's why I'm so excited to be able to talk with you guys about this next part of our series today. So today, we've looked at, over these last weeks, we've looked at the story. We've looked at the good news of Jesus, of how we're brought into the story, the narrative of what God is doing in the world. But now we have to ask, how do we take up our part in that story? How does the church take up its role in the story of God. For many Christians, this is a confusing question. And if you're here and you are not a Christian, first off, we're super thankful you're here. But second off, you probably are also imagining, what are Christians supposed to be doing? How are Christians supposed to know what they're doing? Because a lot of Christians are doing a lot of different things, and none of it looks like it's the same thing. For a lot of people, they think that being a Christian is just praying a prayer, trying to stop sinning, trying to live a good moral life, or maybe you need to get a family in order to be a good Christian. But is that really what God wants? Does God really want us to live a life just focused on reading our Bibles as much as possible, doing some good book studies here and there, maybe not drinking too much or looking at too much porn, and then just proudly sitting in judgment on everybody we're better than? Is that really what God wants? Sadly, that's often what we see with the life of many Christians. But the answer, the answer is obviously no. But how does the church know what it's supposed to be doing? How does the church pick up its role in the story right now in 2023 in Hampton Roads? This is what we're going to be looking at over the next, this week and then next week. And we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage in Romans chapter 12. 
Today we're just going to look at the first couple of verses. So I'm going to invite uh, Andrew Flores, who's already up front. Thank you, Andrew. He's going to read our first five verses for us this morning. Romans 12, 1 through 5. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this word, world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Awesome. Thank you. Let's pray as we jump into this. Jesus, we do thank you for your word that has been transferred through the history of the church to us today. Jesus, thank you that in your word, you are living, you are active because, Jesus, you walked out of a tomb. Because, Jesus, your followers took down your words. Because the church has preserved this record of what it looks like to be your people. So now, Spirit of God, we ask for your help that you would help us here to be your people, to know what it means to be your people in Hampton Roads, in Virginia, in the year 2023. God, I do ask for help. You've known that it's been, God, you know the, the hard week of study and prep that this has been. Thank you, God, for how you've already met me and refreshed me in this text. And I pray, God, for each of us here, you know, Jesus, where we're at. You know the condition of our hearts. And so I pray, God, right now in these next couple minutes that we would not be lulled into sleep, literally or spiritually, but that you, Jesus, would actually speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I started by asking us this question of how does the church take up its role? How does the church know what it's supposed to be doing? And if you think about it, we often see, again, even if you've been a Christian for a while, if you're a new Christian, if you, don't, if you are not even a Christian, we often see churches do one of two things in terms of how they take up their role. They usually pick one of two methods. They either go the attractional route or the bunker down mentality. These are often two ways that churches will say, here's how we figure out what we're supposed to do. What's the attractional method? This method of picking up your role is often when a church thinks that their goal is getting people into a space. The goal of the church is to get people into a building, get people into an event, get people into a Bible study, and there the professionals will convince everybody to follow God. Does that make sense? You've probably seen a lot of churches, you know, really big events. Sometimes there's smoke machines and stuff, which again, not necessarily always bad, but the goal is getting people to an event. The goal of discipleship is bringing those out there to be in here with us. That's often what happens with this an attractional model. And again, it's not all bad. There is some good there. What's the second approach, this bunker down mentality? This is the holy huddle. This is the inward focus. This is those Christians who believe the goal is knowing more, studying your Bible more, avoiding all the sinful people out there. 
Often this is the people who maybe got saved 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, and now they think that the way to be a Christian today is the exact same as it was back then, that the way you got saved back in the day is the way everybody else needs to get saved now. So you just bunker down, you found the people that you agree with, and you guys just live in this little holy huddle. So often we see these two primary ways that the church at large is trying to take up its role. But we have to ask, is this what the Spirit of Jesus intends for the church today? Is this what the story of God would actually call us into today? Today I want us to examine not necessarily a third way, but to actually look at the way the church picks up its role through one word. Today, we're basically going to unpack and look at one word. Today, I want to propose that the way the church takes up its role is through understanding the word participation. Participation. This is a word that I believe needs to become dominant in both the Christian worldview, but also in the way that we view our own lives as Christians so broadly and individually. You see, very often we just think that our walk with Jesus is just about us and Jesus. And the church is just, you know, this organization that helps me on my little path. But a participant, I've got a definition for you. A participant is someone who takes part in something. Someone who takes up their role in something bigger than them. So let's just like, let's just like pause and ask what are some examples of what it means to be a participant in something? Well, you probably don't even realize this, but most of your favorite stories, movies, literature, things that you read, history, they're all about somebody becoming a participant in something so much bigger than themselves. Consider this example, a simple farm boy who has a normal life. His main goal in life is riding his land speeder and getting power converters. But then he gets swept up into this story that is so much bigger than him. We have our friend Luke Skywalker. Luke goes from being a mere bystander to being swept into a saga that is infinitely bigger than him, but of which he is a key participant in that story. Consider another participant, a young girl named Dorothy, living on the tornado-ridden plains of Kansas who gets caught up in a dream into the land of Oz. And she chooses to take up the plight of the munchkin people against the wicked witch so that she can get home. Dorothy goes from standing there and hearing this call to enter this story, and then she follows the yellow brick roll, and she embarks as a participant in this bigger story, and she meets her companions on the way. Friends, these aren't just... Cute little punny examples, by the way. Understanding stories all around us in this way is what helps us understand our role in God's story. These examples and stories, I've got one more I'm going to share with you in a second. They're not just, I'm not just trying to be punny and cute, like, oh, let's talk about participation. Here's an example of participation. Friends, we need to constantly be seeing every story around us as in some way being caught up into the grand story of God. This again, this again is not just where the power of every sto of story being written into our hearts, but every story in its own way leads us back 
into the master story of what God is doing in the world. So I, I even give you these examples so that we can all begin to train our minds to think this way. But one of my favorite stories of someone going from being an observer and then becoming a participant, it's arguably one of the best movies of all time, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you've not seen Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'm not going to threaten you, I'm not going to connive you, but you know what you're doing tonight. You were invited to my house. I'm just kidding. Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's created in 1981. It's this epic, epic movie. Dr. Indiana Jones is an archaeologist. And again, if you're like me and you got enraptured by Indiana Jones, you quickly realize that archaeology is often not what he does. <laughs> the role of archaeology is by nature an observer. Think about that. You look, you think, you ponder, you create explanations. You spend most of your time in the library. When I realized that as a 13-year-old boy, scratch that off my bucket list. <laughs> it's a true story. I still have all my archaeology books. But in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones is invited to leave the classroom and consider the lore, the myth of the lost Ark of the Covenant. Again, I, I won't give away the movie, but there's this team of researchers, and there's, it's set in World War II, so the Nazis and Hitler are trying to find the Ark to use its power in World War II. And at first, Indiana Jones refuses the call. At first, he's like, no, no, it's just a myth. But then these, um, i trying to think who they were, they're, they're like these agents for the government. They begin to convince him of like, no, there's something here. Come with us. Come into this story. And he's eventually convinced, and he becomes a participant. He gets plunged into the quest for the lost ark. And so think about this. The calling to find the ark of the covenant is a call to step into a story. It's a call to play out a role. It's a call to become a participant. And what I want us to see is that in a very, very similar way, this is what the language of the New Testament is calling us into as participants in the story of God. We are called into the good news of Jesus to put our lives in allegiance with Jesus. We're not called to just believe the gospel, but to participate in the gospel, to become partakers in the gospel. So the way that you know your role and part in the story is by figuring out how to do business with the word participation. So what I want us to do now is actually just look at a couple examples of this in the New Testament, because I want to convince you, I want to show you that this is not just something that I'm saying, but this is actually built into the fabric of the whole New Testament language. So let's look at a couple examples of this. So I want us to look at understanding the language and grammar. And I might have just lost some of you when I said grammar. Understanding the language and grammar of the New Testament. The New Testament regularly shows us that following Jesus is not being a bystander, but the call to be a Christian is a call to be a participant. Often the New Testament uses the wording of being found in Jesus. What we're going to see is that being in Jesus means being on the move. One of the biggest ways that the 
New Testament describes a Christian, get ready for this, I might lose you here again, is through the use of prepositions. One of the biggest ways the New Testament describes being a Christian is not through using the word Christian. It's through prepositions. Does anyone know off the top of their head and want to like brag in front of all us what a preposition is? I had to Google the definition of a preposition. And, you know, we all know about, above, across, and after. But what is a preposition? A preposition is a word governing or expressing the relationship of one thing to another. All you grammar nerds who I know who you are, you're all like, yes, this is amazing. Prepositions. Words like above, across, against, along, among, around, before. I think I have some of them up there. Between, by, down. Friends. Can I just say, circle these words in your Bible. These words are where the theology is. These words are where your Christian world will expand right before your eyes when you begin to understand this. These words show the connectivity of things in our Bibles. So in the New Testament, we read that we are with Christ that he is among us, that he goes with us, that he's in us, that we are found in him. These are not just statements saying you're in Jesus. These are what it means to participate with Jesus. So we're just going to look at three examples of where this wording is used. When the Bible says that we are in Christ, that's not just a static thing. That's a word of movement. Romans 6, 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in, moving in to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, you've moved in with Christ. What has now happened? You are an ongoing, living, new creation. Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. He's showing that all of the differences the world would lay on us They're all moved aside, for you are all united as you move in to Jesus. In Jesus, there's new identity, and that new identity leads you somewhere. What about the wording for with Christ, that we are with Christ? Again, understanding this specific example will just blow your mind. Paul is talking about our sexuality. He's talking about our bodies. He's talking about why, if you are in Christ, you cannot be united to anybody sexually who is not your spouse. And he makes the case through these prepositions. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Here he's saying prostitute is anybody who you are not married to, who you are sexually involved with. That would include sexual fantasy in your mind. So not just being physically sexually involved, but even sexual activity in your own brain. He says, never. Do you not know that he who is joined to or with a prostitute becomes one with her body? That's why the Bible says the two become one flesh. But he who is joined to or with the Lord becomes one spirit with him. You are with Christ. Your union with Jesus actually now means something for your life. So flee sexual immorality. Romans 8. 
All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with in relation to Christ, in order that we be glorified with him. Last example, the Greek preposition that relates to moving into, into. Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by faith, by works of the law, but through faith in, by moving into faith in with Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. Last example, there's, there's many examples that I took out just because that could have filled up our whole time that actually have a lot to do with our baptism. The, it, it just blew me away this week in my study of realizing that baptism is just not this static reality that happens, but that our baptism continues to have ongoing implications. Paul writes, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into, who have moved into Christ, were baptized into his death? Baptism here denotes movement. It's not a static thing. It implies that being baptized means you're now going somewhere with Jesus. So all these prepositions, and again, we, we literally looked at three. There are dozens and dozens of examples of this that we could have poured over. All of these prepositions, and even then you begin to throw in the verb usage in the New Testament, they all relate to like geometric movement. There's charts that New Testament theologians use that show arrows moving and going and coming into and going alongside of and going out from. <laughs> Friends, your union with Jesus is not a static position. For Paul, to be a Christian, one united with Jesus, would imply movement. It implies you are not believing into the idea of Jesus, but you are now going somewhere with Jesus. So to be in Jesus, to be a Christian, means you're on the move with Jesus. And this is at the heart of what it means for us to take up our role as the church in the story of God. Because to be in Jesus means you're on the move with Jesus, which means you are participating with Jesus. But, 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 how is that expressed? How is that seen? How is it made evident that you are with Jesus? How is it public that you are someone who's on the move with Jesus? Do you walk around with like a little chart saying, look how godly I am. I, I read my Bible 16 times this year. Again, reading our Bibles is really important. But how do we show the world that we're on the move with Jesus? Do we have little pins and badges we wear? No. How is your life and love for Jesus seen? How is it validated and proven to the world that you are someone who's on the move with Jesus? Again, even to call up the Indiana Jones example, how is it evident that you've left the library and you're now on the quest? Our participation in Jesus, the way we show the world that we are in with Jesus, 
is through our participation in life with his people. Again, don't take my word for it. Read the Bible. Read your New Testament. This is built into the basic prepositions and verbs of the New Testament. How do you know if you really love God or in union with Jesus? You will love other people. You will be in life with other people. First John makes that very, very clear, that if you say, oh, I love God, I'm in union with Jesus. I hate those people, though. You either need to really question your faith, or John would say, you're just a liar. It's literally what he says in First John. So our participation in Jesus, the way it's proven to the world that we're on the move with Jesus, is directly tied to our participation in life with the people of Jesus. Again, and if you think about it, we, Scott and I rarely talk about this when we preach. What do you think the whole point of the New Testament is? All of these letters were written to the churches telling them, figure out your life together. Work to be reconciled. Work to love one another. Because that's how you show the world that there's a new king in town. That's how you show the world that you have taken up your part in the story. So now the very end. Let's go back to Romans 12. I want us to look at Romans 12 as we wrap up now through this lens of participation. Romans 12 is about being on the move. Romans 12 is about participation. Romans 12 is about knowing how you are gifted to play out your role in this story. Romans 12, I think this is on the screen, is about the tapestry of the many varied ways the church participates in life with Jesus through his people. Often Romans is just viewed as the plan of salvation. And yes, that is part of it, but I will say that is not what Paul is intending. Paul is showing how a pagan church full of a variety of different nations, different peoples, a broad range of people. Paul is showing them how they actually know their place in what was once just the story of Israel, but is now actually fully realized in Jesus. And now the church steps into that place in the story. So Paul is telling the church, here's your role. Here's how you figure this out. And again, if you think about it, that's what he's doing as he's walking through each section of Romans. But often, again, if you're like me, until very recently, I never read Romans that way. I read Romans as like a systematic theology, as a way to like figure out, well, here's an issue I have. How does Romans speak to my issue? Again, we often think, oh, well, I'm living in condemnation. I should read Romans 5. I'm living with fear. I should read Romans 8. I need to stop sinning. Well, I should probably read Romans 6 and 7. And again, those things are true. But then we completely miss the scope of what Paul is showing us throughout all of Romans. So Romans 12 is not just examples. And again, we're going to unpack more of Romans 12 next week. We're going to get into some particularities of like, what does that look like for us here today? So hopefully that's enough to draw you back next week. We're going to look at that next week. But what I want us to see is Paul showing us that we're not just called to believe the gospel, but to participate in it. So let's look at these verses again. I'm just going to read through them, and then we're going to close. Paul writes, I appeal to you, 
Therefore, brothers, in light of the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here's now how you participate in light of the mercies of God. Do not be conformed to the old era of Adam, he's saying. The old reign of the world where Satan was ruling. You are now brought into the new Adam, the new Christ. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The renewal of your mind is the spirit showing you who Jesus is and who you are and now how you pick up your place in the story. That's what this renewal of your mind is talking about. So that by testing, by discerning, you can know what the will of God is. This isn't the will of God for which college should I go to? Which job should I take? What am I supposed to do? Yes, God does answer those prayers. But Paul's goal here for you discerning the will of God is what does God want for you to do in light of the story? How is he calling you to pick up your place in the story? So then he starts to press into these specifics. Verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment according to the faith that you have. We all have different measures of faith. Paul talks about this a lot in the New Testament. We all are gifted in very different ways, but what often happens? We want what other people have. I want this person's gift or that person's gift or how come I'm not made more like them or how come I have these weaknesses? Friends, when you figure out your part in the story, you will live boldly and fearlessly because you know he made you for your role in the story. For as in one body we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. Is this starting to make sense of like what he's actually leading them into? So we, though many, many different people, we're one body in Christ. And that means we're members, one of the other. In Jesus, we're actually connected together. So we're going to look at some other specifics. Because again, I would, I would encourage you, Read the next 15 verses this week. Look at these very, very specific ways, giftings, personalities, strengths, weaknesses that he's calling the church into. We're going to look at that next week. Next week, what I want us to see is that Romans 12 is actually giving us a grid for how we here in Hampton Roads pick up our role in the story. So, as we close... Paul wants us to see that to be in Jesus is to be on the move with Jesus. To be in union with Jesus means you're going somewhere with Jesus. Again, Indiana Jones left the university. And he went on the move. His friends, very different people, went with him to play that part in the story. So just as we close, one question for you that I would ask you to chew on. Where is the spirit of Jesus calling you to not just believe the gospel, but to participate in it? Where is the spirit of Jesus calling you to not just believe the gospel? This is not just mental assent. This is not just verbal mental agreement, but you saying, how do I play my role now in that? Let's pray. And the band can come up to lead us in song.
Jesus, we do need your spirit for this work. Thank you, Jesus, that you are leading us as a church, that you're leading me to not just be people who mentally believe the gospel, but people who actually pick up our role and know what it means to participate in the gospel. Jesus, we need your help with this. Spirit, this truly is something only you can do. Spirit, we need your wind to blow in our midst. We need you, Spirit, to convict, to call us, to draw us, to change our affections from lesser things to you, to change our affections from where we just don't really care that much about you, Jesus, because we have been caught up in other things that demand our time or that have captured our affections more deeply, and we need you, Spirit, to show us the power and the worth and the beauty of Jesus in his life. So God, I ask that you would do that for us here at Redemption. For the sake, though, of Hampton Roads, for the sake of people living in Chesapeake who are far from you, for the sake of people in Virginia Beach and Suffolk and Portsmouth and all of Hampton Roads, Jesus, would you help us know our place so that other men, women, and children can be brought into your story? Jesus, this prayer of ours is, is not too much for you. It seems big and overwhelming to us. But Jesus, help us to increasingly be convinced of who you've made us to be so that we can, in confidence, step in to play our part in what you're calling us into. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.